Good morning, comrades, and uh, welcome to another week of Workers' Power. You're with uh, Bill and Jackson here on uh, 4 Triple Z, and uh, we just listen to Lockdown by uh, The Mark of Cain. I bring that out whenever there's... I've played that a lot over the last 12 months, <laughs> yeah. that song. Uh, I, quite, I like it. I like it, but... Uh, it's a bit of a solidarity song uh, for our comrades down in uh, Sydney who are uh, experiencing um, a bit of a lockdown. They, they haven't experienced it like us. Um, so uh, let's hope everyone, um, you know, stay safe uh, up here in uh, Mianjin as well. Um, y- y- yeah, uh, um, we're doing the right things here at 4 Z, and, uh, you know... Uh, that's why there'd just be Jackson and I in the studio with us uh, today. That we we don't we can't have any guests in. So, uh, but we will be able to uh, bring you plenty of workers' action from across the continent and around the globe. Um, and of course, uh, we'll have the world famous uh, Scallywag of the week. Uh, shout out to uh, Artcart uh, for another informative show. Uh, uh, good to see uh, Liz Wet back in, in on the uh, mic and uh, uh, also thanks to Zedlines uh, for keeping us up to date uh, um, with uh, news right uh, so we'll, we will move on to our show and uh, we always start out by uh, acknowledging the first, the traditional owners of the land from which we broadcast the Yuggera and Turrbal people this land was stolen, never ceded. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We also acknowledge all First Nations comrades listening today. We stand in solidarity with First Nations people in their struggles for recognition, reparations and land rights. We live and benefit on stolen land. It's time to pay the rent. Okay, we'll move on to uh, First Nations uh, Workers' Action. And our first story we've got up there from uh, NITV News uh, from Douglas Smith. Uh, there's a spike in Indigenous Indigenous youth in custody after new Northern Territory bail laws. Oh, not not this again. But uh, we'll let Jackson report on that. Yeah. So we reported on this a couple of weeks ago, and this is the update. Uh, like when the bill got passed, and this is the update from it. Uh, as now it is taking effect. So the National Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Legal Service has condemned the Northern Territory's newest youth bail laws after seeing a significant spike in youths in detention in a month. Since the law came into effect on the 14th of May, there have been 44 young people arrested in 43 days. Most of these are Indigenous. Data from the Territory Government shows a projected increase of children in custody at a rate of 10% per annum. Chairperson of uh, the legal service, Arente woman Priscilla Atkins, said the new laws were a failure. These punitive laws are capturing young-time first offenders who are ending up on remand when they would not ordinarily enter into the youth detention system, she said. It is tragic to see the same failures of a broken system that the Royal Commission sought to reform. It is time for evidence-based and community-led solutions to create pathways away from jail to support young people to succeed. Recent stats show the number of Indigenous youth detained has doubled over, doubled since the same time last year with a significant spike since May 2021. 
at an at a Northern Territory Senate estimates hearing this week. Territory Families Minister Kate Warden praised the results after being questioned extensively on the rise of youth in detention. Ms Warden said the laws could take anywhere up to 18 months to reduce crime rates. Principal Legal of- Officer at the North Australian Aboriginal Justice Agency, David Woodroff, told NITV News that it was the government that the government recently expanded a 2.5 million grant to expand Dundale Youth Detention Centre, which goes against a recommendation from the Royal Commission. That money can go. Uh, a quote: That money can go to so many good things that happen in the communities, such as community programs, Aboriginal sports and recreation programs that help can help work with families and supporting families. He said, "It's all the wrong lessons. When you put more and more money into building bigger and bigger prisons, you'll fill them." Said Mr. Woodruff. These are bad laws, and they're not just becoming bad laws; they're having bad consequences, particularly for Aboriginal children. Uh, Natsils and uh, the Justice Association are calling for the Northern Territory government to work with Aboriginal organisations to prevent youth offending and address the underlying issues driving children and youth contact with criminal justice. That's true. Mm, that, yeah, that's uh, right. It, um, they should be working, um, you know, to address the underlying issues. Uh, that um, put the uh, you know these children and youth um, make them come in contact with the youth, uh, criminal justice system. You know, uh, really, really good point to 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 finish it off there. And uh, yeah, the, the, this is the the um, for Northern Territory. It just keeps coming back, doesn't it? You know, like the uh, once again, Don Dale's mentioned uh, once mm. again. You know, like uh, uh, you know, the, 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 this is. Um, you know, it's kind of when will I ever learn? You know. Yeah, I mean, if you have like children, like fourteen, ten-year-olds or something, committing crimes, like it's they need help. You know, they 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 clearly aren't getting like enough food or shelter or whatever it is they need. They need help, and honestly, the same is true for adults. Yeah, you know? yeah. They need a, a community support network because the parents need support and the kids need support. And they, you know, like they, they'll come in and they'll go, "All oh, right, well, we need to do something about the kids," and they'll just lock them all up. They, they don't do the, you know, look into the underlying issues of, of uh, youth unemployment, of, uh, of, um, uh, you know, you know, parents who need support. You know, you know, whether that be uh, single parents, two parents. You know, uh, um, the, the parents need support. You know, and. Uh, 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 as a society, we don't we don't do too too well in that in, in, in marginalised communities. Yeah, we have a system which leaves us most of society in poverty, and instead of like fixing that, we just f- get everyone who has um, uh, failed uh, who has not managed to get lucky in getting their own um getting getting getting, providing for themselves and just locking them up yeah privilege is the word i think they might be looking for it is yeah it is a privilege to be able to uh 
um, be able to function in this world. Eh? Yeah, to, to not have to consider crime to survive, that's... A yeah, that, that's problem. right. You know, that's right. And, and uh, yeah, as a retail worker, you see, used to see it all the time. People coming in and pinch their dinner, you know, like... Uh, you know that's uh, you know pretty desperate and 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 um, but uh, I, look, I, I don't I take that against them. You got to feed yourself in in one way, shape, or form. And uh, but um, you know the, the 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 risks and ramifications that come from that if if you get a criminal record from trying to feed yeah. yourself. Like the 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 punishment for shoplifting is like really severe. So you know if someone is actually going out of the going out of the way to do that and take that risk, they need to they don't have a choice otherwise they're gonna like go homeless or starve or something they need that food or whatever and 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 you you hear a lot of um problems uh, you know here in queensland i'm sure they have it in northern territory where where uh, young people are um into car theft and things like that 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 one look i'm maybe i'm being a bit bit simplistic in my view but those ones come out of boredom you know it's boredom, you know, stealing a car and going on a joyride. They're doing that because they're bored. They need stimulation. They need, they need, you know, uh, you know, something in their lives. You know, something to do. Um, you know, to to you know, function as part of the community. Um, but they're being left behind and uh, getting bored. And uh, um, yes, and, and and the the new Northern Territory government th- thinks the way to uh, fix that is to build bigger and larger prisons. Mm. Right, uh, we're still doing uh, First Nations uh, workers' action, and we've got uh, uh, Joy as Jabiru. I get that right. I think Jabiru is returned to Mirar traditional owners, ending a 40-plus year land rights claim. And another one that's come from NITV News uh, by Anita Behol. Um, yeah, you you could talk us through <laughs> this one, Jackson. So uh, we've got some good news. So traditional owners in the Northern Territory are celebrating the return of land rights over Kakadu Township, Jabiru. Jabiru was established as a mining town and sits just over 250 kilometres southeast of Darwin. The town is home to a vibrant traditional art centre, the home of the notorious Cahill's Crossing where fishermen battle crocs for a catch and on the doorstep of the World Heritage listed Kakadu National Park. It is hoped that the handback will bring certainty to the town's future after mining operations ceased in January. Senior Marat traditional owner Yvonne Magarula spoke at the ceremony in the indigenous language of Kunjami with her message of joy translated as she spoke. I want to thank everybody who has been working with us to assist us to have this land returned to us, said Miss Margarula. This land was left to us by our ancestors and now it comes back to us again. The, a traditional ceremony and dance marked f- marked the occasion with Federal Minister for Indigenous Australians Ken Wyatt calling it a monumental moment in history. A uh, quote, I watched the joy in Yvonne's eyes that conveyed a lot of emotion to me, he said. I was thinking ab- about all those who are now gone and wanted their land back after fighting against the mining. Their children are now the recipients of the future. They wanted another recipients of the future they wanted and generations to come. End quote. The Marah people <coughs> have been fighting for their land for more than four decades. 
And last year, federal parliament caved to the pressure from the traditional owners and unanimously passed amendments to the Aboriginal Land Rights Act, which paved the way for the handover. The application for native title was first lodged in the federal court on the 1st of September 1997. Corbin Mujanji is a younger traditional owner and said that the Murrah people hope to gain back some econo- economic independence and turn the township into a vibrant hub for tourism and culture. My aunties have been fighting for this since before I was born and I started looking into what we've been doing and now it's finally here, he said. I feel it's going to be a very bright future. People are already talking about tourism and other government buildings. End quote. Uh, Jabiru was built in 1982 to house hundreds of miners working in the nearby Ranger Uranium Mine. After operations ceased in January, the town's future became unclear. However, Kakadu National Park remains a profitable investment for the government, and Jabiru's proximity to the park has given the government an interest in keeping it afloat. This also means that the government will watch the mine operator's legally required rehabilitation of the mining site carefully so it can be incorporated back into the park. About $276 million in federal funding has been granted to support the town's transformation, as well as $135 million from the NT government. Well, I, I, I want to go up there now. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds like a nice place. Kakadu it does. Yeah, well, Kakadu um, looks beautiful on, on, on the screen, and uh, I'd love to get out there. And uh, knowing that um, uh, you're supporting the uh, uh, traditional owners uh, makes it a, um, a, a, a. I'd feel very good about a holiday out there. I might uh, actually have. I've been looking. I'd like to drive there, but I don't think my family would be keen on that. Hmm. It's a long <laughs> trip up there. Long, long trip. A couple but, nights um, in the desert. It, it, it's a, another one of the things we, we talk about, uh, unionists and, 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 you know, and workers and, and that talk about if you don't, don't fight, you lose. Well, this is one of those ones they've, uh, they've kept on fighting, you know, uh, kept fighting, kept fighting, and, and now they've, they've finally got to win. Uh, and, uh, yeah, four decades of fighting. Yeah. Good on them. Yeah. But it's also worth noting that they are... Um, luckier than many uh, townships out there like as they were saying they were worried after the mine shut down about the future of their town but um, they're lucky because they're near Kakadu National Park which uh, the government puts a lot of value in um, and not very very few townships have something like that near yeah, them. Yeah, the, the extra resource for well, the, the, the capitalism likes, you know mm. that um, yeah, that the creates this type of investment, you know, and um, yeah, Kakadu is um, something that uh, is world famous. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, let's hope that they uh, they get a big say in, in, in how their town, you know, there's some big funding there. Let's hope First Nations uh, uh, peoples um, and workers uh, um, get a big say in how, that, uh, how those funds are applied to their community. Yeah, it's a good piece of news. Always good when Indigenous people get their land back. Right on. It, it sure is. Okay, we're on to uh, workers' action now. And, uh, all right, these next two, fantastic. Right, so the next two, so put everything down, listen in for the, for the next, oh, I don't know, about 10 minutes. And we're going to go through two stories. Both of them are union wins. All right. So first up, we've got uh, uh, General Mills members win. 
you you'll sure thing. Oh, go uh, for it. Go uh, for uh, it. Yeah. So workers today endorsed a deal that will see all conditions maintained, a wage increase of almost nine percent over three years, paid back to February eleventh, right a fifteen hundred dollar bonus, and protection for all labour hire casuals and contractors who participated in the strike. Go you. When 90 General Mills United Workers Union members started this strike on the 4th of June, workers were facing an average pay rise of 1.5%, cuts to their conditions and new clauses that could see them forced to work more over the weekend. The fight at General Mills was a fight against wage stagnation, with yet another company that made huge profits from their essential workers during COVID, only to turn around and try to slash their conditions. Workers stood strong against this global corporate giant. They called on United Workers Union members across the country to take action and support their fight. They raised $35,000 from the community and held solidarity rallies at the strike. After three weeks on strike, standing strong, United Workers Union workers won. Essential workers are taking action to end wage stagnation and winning. 9%, that is a good number to hear. Yeah, over three years, but uh, yeah, fantastic, you know, numbers, uh, you know, more than the 2.5% uh, paltry increase that the Fair Work Commission gave to the minimum wage. And uh, and there's uh, one of your favourite words, back pay. Back, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I was, a, you knew I was about, yeah, back pay, that's a great word in the English language, and back to February 11, and, and a fifteen hundred dollar bonus. So, mm. and and I like this one. This uh, this is a you'd nearly call this a United Workers Union clause, though, because protection for all labour hire casuals and contractors who participated in the strike. They like to do yeah. that. That's always a necessity for any strike. You got to protect anyone who could face uh, re- re- retaliation from it. Well, at the uh, chemist warehouse uh, struggle, all the. Uh, labour hire casuals and contractors who who stood in solidarity, who uh, mm. who joined the picket line and went on strike, or as part of the uh, negotiations to go back to work, all of them were made permanent. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, this one, uh, you know, there's protection, you know, which is, you know, pretty good, and a $1,500 bonus, cha-ching, you know, that's what you get when you stand up, you fight back, and, uh, you know, you, 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 you secure not only... Your own future, but a rising tide lifts all ships. And other unions and other workplaces look at this and say, hey, you know, General Mills work has got 9% over three years. That sounds pretty good to me, you know. Mm. So, um, well, in this day and age, it sounds pretty good. But, uh, <laughs> we, of course, uh, we'd like more. Uh um, yeah. After three long, hard weeks on strike, I imagine the, all the workers are going to be feeling very relieved, having their big celebrations, and uh, it's, it's, it's nice to imagine them, like, finally getting there, you know. Yeah, yeah, well, good on them and solidarity with those workers. All right, we've got another one here. Uh, Union uh, reaches groundbreaking agreement with uh, ports operator Hutchison. Wow. Yeah. So, after three years of negotiation, the Maritime Union of Australia has reached a groundbreaking workplace agreement with the world's largest stevedoring company setting a new industry standard at container terminals in Sydney and Brisbane. Workers will receive 
5 2.5% wage increases over the four-year agreement once certified by the Fair Work Commission. The agreements with Hutchison Ports Australia will see the introduction of 20 days paid domestic violence leave, the creation of permanent rosters and the addition of a clause that gives the workforce the ability to find alternatives to redundancy in the event of an economic downturn. MUA Deputy National Secretary Warren Smith said the negotiations had been the hardest among the had been among the hardest seen in the industry. A quote, this agreement will see job security strengthened at the terminals with protection against job losses due to the implementation of automation, technology and contractors, along with a move to address insecure work with a cap on casual employees and an emphasis on rusted permanence and guaranteed workers. This agreement not only brings to an end three years of hard-fought negotiations, it sets new industry standards not only for Australia but around the world. The introduction of 20 days paid domestic violence leave is a significant victory that will reduce financial hardship suffered by people dealing with the challenges of violence in the home. Nothing in this agreement was handed to us. It took three years of unwavering determination and united action from members at the Sydney and Brisbane terminals to achieve this victory. These negotiations were among the hardest ever seen in our industry, with new claims from management threatening to derail discussions right until the end. But despite all these obstacles, we have managed to achieve a groundbreaking agreement. We could not have achieved this outcome without the sacrifices of MUA members who were united in their exercising their right to undertake industrial action in defense of a fair agreement. Nothing was given to us for free, and while negotiators spent countless hours working towards this outcome, it was made possible by the efforts of every rank-and-file member at Hutchinson, end quote. Right on. Solidarity with the uh, MUA uh, members out at Hutchos. Uh, uh, finally got, uh, you know, a decent uh, EBA negotiated, and, uh, yeah, great, uh, great to see job security in there uh, for the, some of these workers. Uh, that's one of the th- big things that they've been fighting for. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> we were just talking about three weeks on strike, but three years of negotiations, the celebrations were even bigger. Yeah, yeah. And uh, MUA know how to celebrate. Uh, uh, yeah, and I also, uh, while we're, whilst we're talking about MUA and, and, and a comrade that was heavily involved in, in this struggle has unfortunately passed. Oh. Yeah, um, Baboo, Bamboo the Rally Dog. Um, oh. So was was famous in the early... We, Nelly even made an appearance on uh, on uh, Workers' Power but was a bit ill and couldn't, couldn't attend uh, that day. But uh, Bamboo was uh, heavily involved in this struggle and is missed dearly by, by many, many comrades, including, including uh, those in this room. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... Uh, 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 solidarity with with those at Hutchos, but um, also our, our, our thoughts go out to to all those that that Bamboo has touched over the years, especially um, our, our comrade uh, Paul Peterson. Um, so yeah, it was a bit sad news, um, but uh, uh, yeah, well, a, a good win for uh, for the um, uh, for the workers. Maybe they could call this one the Bamboo Agreement. <laughs> You know, in, in, in recognition. And uh, we're talking a workers' action from across the continent. And uh, what have we got? We've got uh, uh, 
A story, oh, Willowgrove defended, um, coming from the Green left, uh, Susan Price. Uh, yes, so, more good news, lots of good news this week. It's good. Uh, more than 150 workers, students and residents picketed entrances to Parramatta's historic Willow Grove on the 22nd of June. So that was last uh, Tuesday, yes. Uh, which was happening live while we had our last show. So um, supporters started arriving on site by 5am. They had been alerted to work on the site the previous afternoon, which breached a CFMEU green ban and a ministerial undertaking that work would not begin, while an appeal to the New South Wales Land and Environment Court's June 16th decision was lodged. The New South Wales government wants to make wants to move the historic building to make way for the new powerhouse museum. Destroying history to build a museum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as the entrances were picketed, the North Parramatta Residents Action Group lodged the appeal in the New South Wales Supreme Court and requested an urgent injunction to stop work at the site. By 4pm, the injunction was granted. However, the New South Wales government is seeking to allow work to continue on the non-heritage parts of the site. The Savalu Grove appeal hearing is scheduled for the 2nd of July. Meanwhile, supporters are staying vigilant and gearing up for more protest action. Action Group spokesperson Suzette Mead said the community, with the support of the unions behind us, will fight this until we save Willow Grove. Right on. Yeah. Bring back the green bands. Yeah. They did, and they did it. They got 150 people there to pick at the site. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, that's ha- how they roll. There's a good movement happening down there in Sydney and... Uh, um, the, the CFMEU and uh, the MUA and there's other unions that, that are involved and uh, yeah they're, they're doing what uh, what unionists should be doing and that's uh, uh, standing in solidarity with the whole community it's fantastic hmm. it's uh, taking control of your labour you know uh, like using doing the work you want not just what the bosses tell you to do yeah yeah spot on and and, and 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 your work influencing the community in the way that you want um mm. and yeah as as we talked a bit about last week it, this this is more to do with the um Ultima site than the North Parramatta site it's all to do with um the where the powerhouse museum is now is at Ultimo and that's prime real estate mm. let's move it and government can make a whole lot of money that's what it's all about yeah. um you know it's it's uh, you know ticking boxes. Politicians ticking boxes to make easy money for the for for the for themselves and for the for the the state. Um, mm. Okay, we'll move on to uh, sir, uh, more workers' action. And uh, Medivac refugees on, on hunger strike have been hospitalised. This comes uh, to us from the Green Left Weekly. Yeah, so 14 refugees have been on hunger strike for more than a week in protest at their imprisonment in a refugee prison in Broad Meadows. Some have been detained by the federal government for eight years. Uh, Refugee supporters had organised a snap vigil on the 21st of June outside the Melbourne Immigration Transport Accommodation to show their support. But by June 25th, the two refugees had to be hospitalised. On one of the mitre hunger strikers, quoted by the 
a refugee action collective, asked, why is the government torturing us for nine years? We want to know what is the difference between us and the other refugees who were released six, month ago, six months ago. We can't be in detention anymore, end quote. Around 90 refugees were brought to Australia for medical care in 2019 from detention on Nauru and Manus Island. Some are still being held in prison hotels and detention centres in Adelaide, Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane. People brought for medical treatment after the repeal of the Medivac law are also still being held in detention in Sydney and Darwin and Adelaide. Between December and February, about 100 Medivac refugees were released into the community on bridging visas. More than 60 Medivac refugees wrote to the Home Affairs Minister Karen Andrews in May, asking her to use her discretionary powers to release them. They are still waiting for an answer. While the Medivac refugees must be released, REC spokesperson Ian Rintel said on the 24th of June. In many cases, the government has not even provided the medical treatment they were brought to Australia to receive. After detention on Manus and Nauru, and two years of detention in Australia, every day in detention worsens their mental distress. They need freedom. Some refugees are being sent overseas instead of being released into the community. Two Medivac refugees were flown to the United States on the 21st of June, leaving 33 still locked up in a park hotel in Melbourne. One of them was Babkir Omda, who had been held in Melbourne Hotel Prison for almost two years. He spoke to Green Left before flying out of the country. I'm happy to be free and breathe fresh air again after 22 months, but I wish I could have been released in Melbourne where I know people. I was given no choice. Refugee Action Collective has called a snap rally. Oh, sorry, this is a snap rally that happened on the 25th of June, but it is already happened. Th- uh, there's a another one. is being organised on the 19th of July, which will mark their ninth year in detention. That's the one I was going to mention. Yeah. So they had to be hospitalised from the hunger strike. They are going very far. And it shows the sort of distress they're put under by this imprisonment. Like, it's... This is, they're nearly been in prison for nearly a decade, which is something that I cannot even imagine that I doubt most people in Australia could imagine. And they're still boys, even at 20, you know, like they you hear yeah, about. Yeah, they came the, here as like uh, children. Yeah, and yeah, 14. And, still and they're very young. And they've spent all, the, all this time That's in detention. Most of their life. Yeah, they're still well. boys, you know, like they're still young men and. Uh, you know, they haven't had the opportunity to grow up, you know, and eight years eight years of torture, imprisonment, being shifted from concentration camp to concentration camp, you know, the eight years, no crime, no trial, no justice, and when will it end? That's just, I've, I've yeah. pinched that from the uh, uh, the rally at mm-hmm. Vida, eight years, no freedom, Sunday, 18th of July uh, um, at 12 o'clock, that's out at Vita. Uh, if you want to show solidarity, that's up here in Brisbane. On the engine. Yeah, these people, they've had, like, the majority of their childhood stolen from them and the effects of that imprisonment, if they ever manage to get out, well, when they manage to get out, being hopeful, um, will take away even more years of their life. Mm. And and the amount of money the the taxpayers are, are, are you know they they're putting them up in hotels you know like uh, the the you know the the money could be better spent uh, yeah, integrating no doubt those them hotels in hotels are uh, like t- taking the government for every penny they can. I bet they are you know. Okay, so we're going to uh, rip back into uh, international workers' action. 
And um, we've got uh, workers on strike in Uruguay against hunger and inequality. We've got uh, this story from the People's Dispatch. Yes. So under the banner of Against Hunger and Equality for Work and Wages in Defence of Life, on the 17th of June, thousands of Uruguayan workers observed a 24-hour national strike against the right-wing government of President Luis Lacau Pou. The strike was called for by the Uruguayan Union Centre, the PITCNT, to demand measures to combat the economic and social crisis generated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Almost all sectors shut down economic activities except healthcare and transportation. The COVID-19 health centres and vaccination centres remained open and the transportation services to reach them also remained open. Throughout the day, several demonstrations were held across the country. In the capital, Montevideo, a large rally of cars, motorcycles and bicycles was carried out from different parts of the city. It ended at the Independence Plaza, where a demonstration was held. The president of the PITCNT, Fernando Pereira, the secretary-general, Marcelo Abdallah, and the vice-president, Soraya La Rosa, went to the executive tower at the plaza to deliver a letter with the urgent demands of the mobilizing sectors to the president. After delivering the letter at a press conference, Abdullah said that the strike was very positive and overwhelming. He stressed that the working population and our people are going through a dramatic situation in the midst of the pandemic with 100,000 more poor people with unemployment and a lack of prospects. Regarding the letter and the demands, he said that there is a need to take measures that reduce circulation, but accompanied by a basic emergency income, later invest in housing, strengthen the healthcare system, generate public purchases for development, and increase salaries so that domestic demand becomes more dynamic. The union leader also reported that during the day, thousands of signatures were collected at the 600 signature collection stations across the country to call a referendum to repeal 135 articles of the urgent consideration law. At a press conference the day before the strike, Abdallah outlined why workers in Uruguay explicitly reject the law. He stated that the neoliberal and anti-worker law promotes budget cuts in the public sector, supports the privatization of public companies, and restricts the right to strike of the workers, among other setbacks. He said that the general strike was also called to express solidarity with 15 professors from the San Jose Department, who were dismissed from their jobs in February for participating in the campaign to collect signatures in favor of a referendum on the urgent consideration law. Pereira also said that the strike's The strike is in defense of those who are having a hard time due to unbearable inequity. He stressed that there are over 100,000 citizens living in poverty who eat in community kitchens installed in Montevideo and other cities of the country. He pointed out that while a significant part of the population is struggling to meet the basic needs, some individuals, business groups and economic elites deposit several billions of dollars abroad. The PITCNT has shared the letter addressed to the president in a thread on Twitter. As outlined in the letter, the demands include a monthly basic emergency income of 440 US dollars and a basic basket of public services such as electricity, water, internet and gas for a year to the vulnerable population. Protection of jobs and generation of employment opportunities, increase in public investment to boost the economy, public procurement policies that support national production and employment 
relaunch of the healthcare sector, a new youth employment law, a national plan for productive development, access to land for small and medium rural producers, financial support for micro and small businesses, guaranteed for guarantees for affordable housing, increased tax on the rich population, increased tax on deposits abroad, no to privatization of public companies, among others. Probably should have shortened that list before reading. No, that. no, you shouldn't yeah. have shortened that list. Yeah, it's all, because it's, it's all good stuff. Because yeah. because it's all fantastic stuff. What are you going to take out of there? <laughs> you know, which ones are you going to take out? Because they're all fantastic things, and they're all exactly what unions should be standing up for. And uh, uh, good good on those uh, workers all all organising um, to uh, stand in solidarity with those that are marginalised in Uruguay. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Uruguay, like, my understanding of it is that it's one of the more developed countries in Latin America. Like, it's like, uh, it's, had a good, it's got a lot of, like, social welfare stuff I as think well. it's got similar but, population numbers to ours as well. Yeah, but in spite of that, it is, like, just as poor and hungry as the rest of the world. And so they, and to the point where they've gone on a national strike, which is pretty awesome. Um Another thing which I noticed uh, when reading this was that they mentioned they have like these community kitchens or something or uh, where like throughout the country, um, which is really cool. Like they, they have these uh, like community based things to make sure that all their poor people get all the food they need. Um, yeah, so, yeah, here they are. There are over 100,000 citizens living in poverty who eat in community kitchens installed in Montevideo and other cities of the country. That's that's something that you don't see around in Australia that much, and it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing, and it's, like, worth taking a look at. Yeah, yeah, there's... Um yeah, community kitchens isn't something you know. You there's organisations that'll you know you know feed the homeless on a Saturday or, mm. or Friday or and, they, and then there's a uh, there's the 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 mobs that come together through there's Orange Sky and there's a couple of other organisations which are, they're doing fantastic mm. things you know but uh, they go from spot to spot and uh, but there's no community kitchens where in other countries where there's somewhere where you can go and get a cheap affordable meal you know or or free you know mm. uh, um, yeah there's not that many and uh, but there is um, there is a couple of uh, food banks around where you can go and um, grab, grab uh, you know a, a trolley full of food and uh, um, there's a there's a really good one out at Ipswich. I, I keep meaning to to reach out to them, but I don't need services. I, I would just want to show solidarity. It's a Ipswich uh, food bank, and uh, and uh, they, they 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 give away a lot of hampers uh, to the community, and uh, and it's not. Um, I think to get hampers, you you, you need to be on, you know, some type of assistance and that. But uh, it, it's walk in and, and, and you can... Uh, they get, um, you know, the big fruit buckets, the pallet-sized buckets, and you can go and help yourself to a, to a bag of apples, but you know, and potatoes and all this other type of stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, there's that. But uh, community kitchens, fantastic. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm sort of uh, making assumptions based on the name here. It doesn't give us much information about what they actually are. But, um, like, the main difference between what we have in Australia and w- community kitchens is that the, like, NGOs and stuff, uh, 
um, soup kitchens and whatever, they are based on funding from the government or rich people, which is um, not ideal because you know being being under the power to having them under the power of the government or the rich to stop at any point is. Whereas in community kitchens, once again, I'm making an assumption it's under the ownership and control of the community who provide everything there and it's much more stable and democratic. Yeah, one would like to think that it's set up as a co-op kind of thing, you know, rather than, you know, a profit-making business. Now, talking of um, of food banks, now there there was one that... that, We haven't fully researched this one yet. We've got... got, uh, um, Fergal, our, our uh, French oh, reporter, yeah. uh, looking into it. But there's a, a McDonald's restaurant in the 14th district of the southern French city of Marseille has been closed for more than a year. For, for more than a year. Yet it has rarely been busier. Uh, so the, the, the headline was, this, this McDonald's is a food bank now. Workers seized a McDonald's in France. So uh, th- this story came from the Washington Post. So I'm not going to rely too much on that. Well, <laughs> well Fergal's very, very interested and in, uh, he's looking into it. So hopefully he, he'll, he'll, he'll find some stuff and uh, uh, and about it, how workers have uh, taken over a, a McDonald's restaurant and turned it into a food bank. Um, uh yeah, actually, I read this article um, when I saw it. When I saw that you shared it, um, it's they've um, th- after like the, the McDonald's was like going to shut down or something. They just illegally occupied it and it just yeah, and but and now it's gotten like a lot of support from the community. Even the local government is offering to buy it so they don't get shut down by the police. We we reported on it. I remember we reported on it um, back when they first took it over. So that that oh, yeah, was a long that while ago, though. Yeah. That was a that was a while ago, but uh, like like I said, we'll 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 put our roving uh, French reporter onto that and see 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 if we can uh, uh, f- find out the uh, the the real side of uh, you know the real story of workers organising. All right, let's. Um, um, one Go. one thing uh, just about this story which I like is that they've rearranged the McDonald's sign on top of it to read La Prairie M, which means after M. <laughs> after M. Yeah. Oh, good, Adam. Okay, we are going to move on to some more international uh, workers' action. We're uh, we're heading to the Middle East, where Turkey attacks a Kurdish refugee camp in northern Iraq. Another um, story from the Green Left Weekly. Yes, so this is from the 25th of June, just for some context. The 1982 massacre of Palestinian refugees in Sabra and Shatila refugee camps in Beirut is notorious. About 3,000 refugees were brutally slaughtered when Israel, which had early invaded Lebanon and forced the PLO to evacuate to Tunisia, unleashed the Lebanese Christian Phalangist militia on the refugee camps. Today, another, today is the 25th of June, another large refugee camp in the Middle East is facing the same prospect. This time, the attackers are Turkish armed forces, and the camp is the Makma refugee camp in northern Iraq slash South Kurdistan. 
About 13,000 Kurdish refugees from southeastern Turkey live there in poor conditions after fleeing in 1998. Speaking on Turkish state television on the 1st of June, Turkish President Erdogan threatened to clean up the Makma refugee camp, which is located 180 kilometers south of Turkey. In a clear violation of international law, Turkish armed drones bombed the camp on the 5th of June. Three civilians were killed and two others wounded in what local MP Rashad Galali described as a drone strike that targeted a playground near a school in the camp. According to a dossier on the Makhmer camp released by the Kurdistan National Congress on the 23rd of June, this attack was just the latest of many. A Turkish military drone attack killed three young women, uh, Hava Aydogan, Azime Erdogan and Aishi uh, Ahmed Furhan on the 15th of April last year as they were tending to their farm animals. And at least three bombs were dropped near the camp on the 19th of July in 2019, injuring two civilians and damaging the vineyards and orchards of camp residents. A Turkish air attack on the camp killed four civilians on December 13th in 2018. And the Makma refugee camp has also been regularly attacked by the Kurdistan Democratic Party regime of the Kurdish regional government in northern Iraq. According to the, um, sorry, the Kurdistan National Congress, uh, document, um, Yes, according to the Kursa National Congress dossier, the corrupt KDP regime acts as a quasi-client state of and co-conspirator with the Turkish regime. The Kurdistan Democratic Party has surrounded the camp since the 19th of July 2019, placing it under a strict embargo, restricting the flow of supplies into the camp and keeping anyone from leaving, even for medical emergencies, the dossier explained. The Mac, uh, a quote, the Makma camp is officially under the responsibility of the Iraqi central government. However, it does not receive any support from Baghdad. Even its official status as a place for political refugees does not currently result in the camp's population receiving any support from Iraq. Since May 2018, the United Nations has ended all assistance to the camp due to pressure from Turkey and the Kurdistan Democratic Party. The population of the refugee camp has thus been subjected to the most adverse conditions. They have therefore turned to ensuring their, ensuring their survival through their own efforts. End quote. Many of Makhmur's residents were compelled to work in various areas of Iraq to cover their living expenses, but since the strict embargo was imposed in 2019, this is no longer possible. Life was never easy in Makhmur, but now it is becoming intolerable. Food and water have to be delivered from outside. Food is prone to spoilage during the hot summer months when temperatures often exceed 45 degrees Celsius. Water, which arrives in aging tankers, is thought to be the major cause cause of health problems. About half the camp's residents born to refugee parents in Iraq are stateless citizens of neither Turkey nor Iraq. As such, an entire generation has been born in exile without any nationality, hoping someday to see the place that their parents and generations before them called home. The Makma refugee camp has also faced attacks from ISIS terrorists, the dossier points out. 
uh, quote, in August 2014, as ISIS was overrunning large parts of Iraq and Syria, the terrorist organization targeted Makma as a step to advancing on Erbil, the capital and largest city of the Kurdistan region of Iraq. At the time, ISIS evaded and occupied the camp. Thankfully, however, the people from Makma united to form popular militias and joined the Kurdish guerrillas in resisting the advance of ISIS. The heroic stance of self-defense involved women and youth as they collectively prevented a catastrophic invasion of southern Kurdistan. However, this resistance was also on behalf of humanity as they proved for the first time that the, bar- that the barbaric ideology of ISIS could be defeated by free people. After this victory, Masoud Bazani, then president of the KDP and Kurdistan region of Iraq, visited the Makma camp and expressed his thanks to the self-defense forces and congratulated for them for their role in the victory. Yet it is the KDP and Turkish state that allow ISIS to assert itself in the Makma region through their logistical support. The ISIS fighters have their safe havens on Mount Karadag and just a few hundred meters away from the KDP Peshmerga bases. The mountain itself is located about three to four kilometers away from the Makma refugee camp. In the depths of this mountain range, the ISIS fighters have set up their camps. From there, they have repeatedly attacked the camp's population in recent years. The Kurdistan National Congress is calling for immediate international intervention to protect the Makma refugee camp. A quote, we request that the, Erdogan, that the Ni- United Nations condemn Erdogan's ongoing violations of Iraqi sovereignty and threats and attacks against civilians in Makma and elsewhere in the country and work with the Iraqi government and local authorities to end the illegal embargo on Makma refugee camp, allow aid to reach the camp and guarantee the safety of camp's residents. Call on the UN to immediately ensure that the embargo on the Makma camp is lifted and that the Makma camp has access to food supplies and medical care. We call for an end to Turkish military aggression against the Makma camp. If Turkey is allowed to act with impunity, it will continue targeting the residents of the Makma camp, resulting in more death and destruction. The government of, of Iraq must take responsibility for crimes committed against civilians living within Iraq's borders, who have now been targeted by military airstrikes using Iraqi airspace. We therefore call on the government of Iraq to act against this violation of national sovereignty. We call on the national community, the defenders of human rights, and global civil society to react against the legal and deadly acts of Turkish military aggression against the Makma camp. Refugees are supposed to be protected, a protected vulnerable population, not target practice for an invading forces bombing campaigns. End quote. Yes. Some sad news in there. In, uh, you know, it's... Uh, a real struggle for these workers, and their their plight is um, is dire, uh, if you want to use a word there. And uh, um, but uh, yeah, the the calling on the uh, the local governments uh, to stop killing workers. Don't mm. kill people. Yeah, <laughs> this, uh, this is like an enormous refugee camp, thirteen thousand yeah. people, and they've been there for two over two decades now. Uh, it's, um, but like, it's, they've got like a whole community there. Like they've, they've even formed their own, they've got their own like military power as well. Like they fought off ISIS and stuff, which is really cool. And, uh, and even still they, um, yeah, the Turkish and Turkish government and, uh, like attacking them and like bombing them. It's, uh, 
like they're they're a refugee camp and you're bombing them what what leads to that it's there it's you know turkish is a fascist genocidal regime uh turkey is um yeah so it's i I mean i guess it goes to show that turkey is a terrible fascist um genocidal regime Yes, uh, well, um, I'm glad that we're reporting, you know, we don't hear much about this, but uh, I'm glad that we're reporting it here on Workers' Power. Uh, uh, These are, uh, you know, these are our workers. They're the same class as uh, as us, and uh, um, we need to, uh, you know, be aware and stand in solidarity with these workers. Yeah, and if you're you're thinking about, like, how do I change this, even though it's on the other side of the world... um, what you've got to understand is that we live in a world of global capital everything all the companies are multi all the big companies are multinational now and often the same ones you have many companies operating in both turkey and australia uh, as well as military companies which operate in australia and sell weapons and stuff to turkey and those are potential targets uh to place um both uh to stop the turkish military from getting weapons and to place economic pressure on the companies that operate in both countries yeah, I, I was thinking of it when, when, when you were going through the story. and I have no doubt that some of the uh, uh, multinational corporations that we were protesting against in the uh, Disrupt Land Forces action were the very same companies that are sending these uh, killing machines over to the uh, to to the to the Turkish and to 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 um, the, this part of the world. And they're they're killing the, the, you know, these workers. So you know we we we're, we're producing the uh, weapons that uh, you know are being used to oppress these workers. Um, you know, I uh, I can use it. I can use my my favourite saying: a work a a, a a a bayonet is a weapon with a worker at both ends. <laughs> yeah, it really really is, comrades and. Uh, um, yeah, we we need to stand in solidarity um, and, and and outrage and um, and be aware that uh, you know there's thirteen thousand workers that are that are being oppressed and randomly bombed with with um, drones and the like. So uh, we'll try to keep you informed here on Workers Power. And uh, another thing I want to say is like this is. Um this is a like an entire country's military, and they are they've got a huge ideological focus on like destroying Kurdistan and the Kurdish people. Um, so this isn't something that can be stopped by locking yourself to the front door of the HQ of a company that's of a weapons company or something. This is this to stop this would require a massive unified international. Uh, like campaign which um which would involve strikes and unions and other forms of yeah more action. actions like uh stop the, the the actions where they were stopping the boats going to israel during the that recent th- more things like that mm-hmm. yeah um though locking yourself to the front door of the hq it is it's not that's something that can be done to raise awareness and start building a campaign which is currently um almost non-existent well not entirely non-existent we do see rallies and stuff going on but it's not anywhere near the strength it needs to actually make an impact on this yeah that's right and uh, we're uh, getting towards the end of the show, so we've got uh, the Scallywag of the Week. 
All right, Newcastle's uh, community pantry under threat. Ah, it's quite ironic. We were talking about uh, food banks and co-ops before the break. So um, Newcastle Council plans to close a community food pantry have provoked a community outrage. More than 5,000 people have signed an online petition calling on the council to allow the pantry to stay where it is. Supporters have also planned a community picnic next Wednesday, 30th of June, at the site of the pantry, which is set to be removed that day. The pantry provides food, clothing, blankets, sanitary products and other essentials to anyone in need and is replenished by community members, often responding to social media posts. Located in Awaba Park by the Hamilton Railway Station, the pantry is located close to the Food Not Bombs Collective, which serves meals to anyone who is hungry on Monday and Wednesday evenings. City of Newcastle officers, backed up by police, pasted notices on the pantry's locker on June 6, announcing that the pantry was unlicensed and would be removed. Uh, When uh, visiting uh, the meal service recently, a young man stopped by for vegetable curry and uh, commented that his budget often got tight by midweek. Poverty, along with homelessness, is increasing in Newcastle. The state government has reduced the public housing stock by 150 properties in Newcastle over the past 10 years. So uh, shame on the Newcastle Council. We're we're, we're not going to uh, single out any individual. We're just going to say all of them. Yeah. Shame on the Newcastle Council and the police who back them up. Yes, that's right. So uh, there we are, scallywag of the week. Okay, well that's that's the the, the show. Now, um, luckily we've got a, a couple of minutes to spare, and we wanted to. I just wanted to uh, let you all know that uh, the uh, Queensland Premier has just made an, an announcement. Um, uh, whilst whilst we're speaking, please please don't turn away. We'll we'll, we'll keep you informed here on Workers' Power. Um, but uh, it, yeah, Southeast Queensland and Townsville um, uh, are going into lockdown uh, for three days. So uh, you can find out more online, of course, after the show's finished. Of course, keep listening to Workers' Power and Z lines uh, and Brisbane lines might uh, might might get an update for you there, but. Uh, uh, we here on Workers Power. We want we want to to all workers uh, stay safe. Uh, you know, keep keep your distance. Uh, you know, um, from others. Uh, make sure you you, you you're uh, uh, putting your QR code in when you you're uh, heading to places. Now, um, on that, uh, just quite recently, and I think it's yesterday or the day before, you now have to. Um, uh, uh, the QR code thing that you use when you go to the pub, right? You've got to do, or cafe or restaurant or anything like that, you've got to do that for the shops now. You'll find that they're, you know, like Coles and Woolworths, um, there, there's a QR, QR code out the front and uh, um, you can just, you know, let them know that you, you were at that so that uh, the contact tracing can be done and you can get a message that, uh, oh, you were in a dangerous place. Uh, um, our, th- my, uh, our thoughts uh, here are with um, uh, 
with Calypso, who our, our co-host, who lives in Fortitude Valley and is a bit uh, concerned uh, because of all the uh, ha- ha- spots that are, are within the valley. Um, but uh, I'm I'm going to head home and probably stay home for three days. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Yeah. And it's just a reminder the lockdown starts at 6pm tonight. 6pm tonight, from 6pm tonight. So you've got a bit of time. All right. Well, well, that's the show. I, I've I've got a track lined up here that that's quite apt when that when we go into lockdown. I I've already played the Mark of Cain's lockdown at the top of the show, but uh, this one it goes out to all the retail work. Well, all the shoppers out there. We want you to. Uh, you know, use a little bit of common sense, you know, and look after retail workers and the like. Um, and don't don't go panic buying, please. Don't worry. Look, as a retail worker, and I was talking about this earlier with some people, that uh, that uh, one of the uh, conundrums or, 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 or one of the things with retail is that uh, no matter how empty the shelves are today, tomorrow... They'll be full again. Hmm. That's what happens, you know. You you get the, you get there, and it's it's a never ending cycle in retail, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, like say Sydney had their lockdown was announced yesterday. Everyone doing panic buying. I bet you all the Coles and Woolworths in Sydney now they they chock a block full of toilet paper. Hmm. So don't worry, you can still go to to the. Um, to the shops tomorrow they won't be locking down the shops you can pop down and, and make sure you've got your mask and you're not going to starve and, and and you're going to have something to wipe you behind so don't panic um and uh i i think that uh the disgruntled t- taxpayers say it best so i'll i'll leave it to them and if you're looking for something to do during this lockdown four triple z is always on air yes uh, tune into four triple z that's well i've got i've got a minute we may as well talk talk about it okay four triple z great yeah tune in the whole time you'll be informed we've got uh brisbane lines that, that'll come up and keep you informed um you, later on in the week we've got radio reversal we've also got uh uh, um, uh, the Pineapple Rebellion at the end of the week, uh, Paradigm Shift are, are doing some great stuff. Even there's a, there's an overnight show that's quite good. Very, this, the the one that's probably closest uh, uh, closest closest aligned to us politically is actually called Zedition. And that's on uh, overnight. It's like two to six on a Saturday morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His politics are great. Their politics are fantastic. You know. Uh, um, so yeah, make sure you're tuning in to Four Triple Z, the greatest uh, uh, radio station in the universe. If you want to uh, support us, you can do that easily by going to fourtriplez.org.au forward slash support. Or give us a phone call on three two five two one triple five. There's someone at reception today, but but I'd say at a has, I'd hazard to guess that reception will be closed over the next few days. So, like I said, keep keep safe, look after each other, and uh, we will see you next week on Workers Power on Four Triple Z.
shell. Looked after us, kicked my feet 